Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Leslie Hall. Leslie is a missionary and community navigator with Journey Communities Church in Bychester, England. Her love for hospitality led her to move from Cincinnati to England, and she's been adjusting and loving the British weather ever since. She thrives on at least five hugs a day, single-origin Ethiopian coffee, and well-timed dad jokes. I give you Leslie Hall. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure. You are living in England, formerly Ohio. You went right from Ohio to England. Yeah, I didn't really. I just I feel like I just skipped autumn. I didn't get any of the lush oranges, reds, and yellows of, of Ohio and just went straight to rain and cold here in England. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it is. Yeah, it, people don't go there for the for the great weather. There's great culture, but not for you know. You go to San Diego for great weather, but so and you are barista by day and you do church work by night. Yeah, like bat, like Batman or Batwoman. You're sort of like, but yeah, but not like but without that. a superhero vibe. Yeah, if you can call making a really dope flat white a superpower maybe that's that's as far as it goes i had my first flat white this year and it was like one of the best things i ever tasted i was like why i was like why haven't i been drinking this it'll change your life it's amazing it's amazing so thanks for being my guests here we got three texts here the first one the old testament reads isaiah 61 verse 10 through 62 3 we have this you know the prophets talking here about the people rejoicing in the lord because he's but he's delivered, uh, you know, he's delivered the people with garments of salvation, covered uh, covered the people with righteousness, uh, and then you have this this interesting picture of the earth as the earth is bringing forth its shoots, or a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up. That's what the Lord will do, uh, uh, you know, before all the nations for His people. So that's an interesting, and, and the nations will see the vindication, all the kings your glory. So we have this kind of. Um, kind of hope for new creation, new Jerusalem, restoration, healing. That's kind of upbeat, upbeat um, post-Christmas message. Yeah, it feels like the hope of Advent is definitely in this one. And I think, yeah, as I was reading it, I think the discipline of hope and the discipline of joy has to come into it as well. Like this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Like, I feel like that takes a certain amount of, you got to kind of try at it. And rather than like whatever your circumstances kind of give to if you whether you want to feel like rejoicing or not you kind of have to after you read all of this yeah like i think yeah you could probably choose to rejoice i don't know that you could choose to be happy right like happy seems like affective like as opposed to this right i think there's something that's that's this is an intentionality to it right because happiness is kind of that's completely based on circumstance like that's you know, that's that's having a flat white or a cold beer like that'll bring you happiness. But like this disposition of joy comes from this much deeper place that is kind of unshakable through circumstance almost. And you can choose you can't really choose, I think, what makes you happy to some degree like you. But you can choose what to rejoice in. Oh, absolutely. It's an interesting contrast. The other thing that I think is interesting here is this organic image as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden 
causes what is sown to spring up for the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. So it's like, it's a very organic, not a mechanical mm. metaphor. And, you know, I, like there's, yeah, you know, like you can, you can do things to like, I mean, what my wife likes to garden and grow things and stuff. And you can do things like to help foster the growth, you know, and you could do some lousy things that will stymie the growth, but you can't make stuff grow, right? Like mm. this, you're dependent on photosynthesis, seeds, nature. It's, it's not something mechanistic, and it's it's an interesting picture here. It's not you know mechanical or military thing. It's an organic metaphor that these things will happen uh, like a garden, which is it's so. It's a curious way to phrase it. Yeah, that you can't necessarily force it. That there's no amount of like coercion or work that we put into it. But it's like the, it's the Lord who causes the righteousness to spring up and the praise to come forth. Like it doesn't really, like you said, it, we can put all the effort into gardening that we want, but like the end of the day it's nature that does all the really hard work in it yeah it's interesting tim keller says in his book center church that the church is both an organization and an organism and the job of the mm. pastor is to make sure that everything is about the organism and and that the organization doesn't swallow up swallow up the organic or the organism i think that's a really interesting way to think about christian life and in, in, in christian community that, that that there's sort of these two dimensions to it and that that you know, the, where the real life is, is in the organic, not the organizational. Mm, yeah, I think that's true. And I think in general, that just plays more into kind of the spirit working through our weaknesses and being the one who's shown off because we can be as organized as we want and we can try to have the greatest structures in the world. But that's really not why the church is the church and why the church um, is as strong as she is. It's it's completely based on that I think the living organism that is within the church is the spirit at work. Um, And that's something that we can't force or that we can't even contain or coerce for our own kind of benefits or whatever. Like that's just God. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, the other interesting thing in this passage I love, is like this image, like I'll call you a new name. The nations will see, you know, your vindication and uh, you'll be the crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. I think of that scene in the end of return of the King and Lord of the Rings where everybody bows and then finally everybody can see the hobbits and mm. and they're about to bow and Aragorn says no no we bow to you and you, like you know the book begins it's like this is a story about hobbits right but it's really not a story about hobbits it's about all about the set the heat the deliverance of middle earth and yet it's told through hobbits and half the people that are saved by these hobbits don't even know what hobbits are right and so it's mm. like it's this moment where like you think of israel like all the nations will say wow israel like the hobbits are like israel there right exactly they're, they're, it's a beautiful like image for like i always think of that scene whenever i read these passages of like the hope of the new creation holy city new jerusalem where, where all the nations rise oh wow you guys were the key to history yeah, I mean, you can pr- pretty much bring everything back to the Lord of the Rings for the most part. More mostly, if you can't, I don't, you know, I, <laughs> if it can't be brought to a uh, back to the Lord of the Rings, it ain't worth, you know, it ain't worth talking about. My. <laughs> yeah. So our, our next reading is Galatians three twenty three through twenty five and verses four, four through seven. Before the faith came, Paul says we're imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. The law was our disciplinarian. The Greek words there is great pedagogos. Um, and then Christ came, it could be justified by faith. Now faith has come, we're no longer subject to the disciplinarian. And in the fullness of time, this is the first Christmas reading, it's great. In the fullness of time, God had sent his son born of a woman. 
to redeem those under the law. It's a great, uh, this is like one of those great sort of uh, Reformation favorite sort of passages, right? This gospel of free grace. Mm, yeah, I think I've just, yeah, I've been really, really struck by this idea that you, yeah, we're no longer slaves, but we're children and not just children, but heirs to everything that God has for us. And I don't know, within like, uh, maybe like the secular Christmas kind of narrative, it does feel a bit like slavery. It does <laughs> yeah. feel a bit like, oh my gosh, if you have to go to this many parties and be this kind of person and... You got to get your Christmas cards out. You got to, yeah. That is, oh, that is the biggest yoke of slavery I can think of. It is it's stressful. It fills people with anxiety. But I think the hope of Advent is you come into adoption and you come into everything humbly and you we just come look at this baby we just come look at this little tiny infant named jesus and that that is the hope of our adoption is coming to it with this this childlikeness and this kind of joy when you like when we when you think of adoption you think of little kids being welcomed into family which is exactly what the church is it's we're a bunch of little kids who get invited into the family of god which that sounds much better than the slavery of Christmas. There, there's this old Italian, like folk story about the Chris, the first Christmas, you know, the, the the birth of Jesus, and this one shepherd is feeling so insecure and 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 ashamed because he doesn't have any gifts to bring, and mm-hmm. with all these people bringing gifts, that that Mary turned to the shepherd who had nothing and put Jesus in his hands. She's like tired and puts the baby Jesus in his hands. It's like the one with the empty hands receives the Christ child. And so there's like, that's so beautiful. It's, a, it's such a great picture. Mm. Like, yeah, like that oftentimes with the ho- with the anxiety, the rat race, right? Our hands are never empty to receive the gift of the child, right? It's like, it, it, you don't get the gift uh, with full, like clenched hands. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's not how you receive anything. You can't, yeah. you can't do it. We'll never receive. Man, I got really nervous when you started talking about an old Christmas folk saying. I thought for a second you were going to start quoting Christmas shoes or something like no, that. No, 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 no Christmas shoes. No, no. Uh, yeah, it's interesting too that that you have this. That this there's a great uh, old hymn I think by William Cowper. It's called "Love Constrains Constrains to Obedience," and it's like to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear His pardoning voice, turns a slave into a child and duty to choice. Whew. Yeah, it's a great hymn. I mean, it's a great, heavy. it's a great, the whole, I mean, like the whole hymn is beautiful. I mean, that's like the, the refrain, but that's sort of, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because the moment you have the is and ought, right? You feel like less free. Like if you're conflicted, you feel less free. And so the idea is like, it's like the Augustinian prayer, right? God, uh, command what you will, and then give me the grace to will what you command. Right. And mm-hmm. so there's this picture here that, that, that true freedom is 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 not living in that contradiction, right? There's the gift of sort of li- the li- living uh, only under the law of love, right? Uh, which is like, which is liberating. Mm. Yeah, and we have this idea, I think, as Westerners, that freedom means like freedom to do whatever. But I feel like, and what I've been listening to, and a lot of a lot of really great teaching lately, is this this idea that we have in the New Testament is we get the freedom to do. We have a freedom to follow God. We have the freedom to submit ourselves and to, to even die, um, as, as Christ commands us to, but that, that freedom is the greatest gift we could have is the freedom to do all of the things that God commands and the freedom, um, to enter into the life that God has for us. That's, that's true freedom. Not this idea that we have the freedom to have this 
autonomy to do whatever we please. Right. Like you're not like real freedom is not just like um, more choices with arbitrariness. I could do this or that. Like that's that's yeah. a sort of impoverished view of freedom. Like the freedom to be what you are is real freedom. Mm. You know, to be like what you were made to be is like is real freedom. And that's and it's interesting because it, it's the picture here is that that's what Christ was born for for, for to for this liberative reality, right? That we can be actually delivered from uh, false freedoms for, that really aren't freedom at all. Mm, exactly. Freedom's just another word Oh, nothing left to lose Nothing And then we have also the the gospel in John 1, 1 through 18. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. This is the the jo- famous Johannine prologue. And, you know, here at Christmas is interesting because the church year, right? Like Happy New Year. Right. Ha- right. Happy New Year. Like it's Advent. Now, it was at, we just went through Advent because even though we're recording this during Advent, we're, the people listening to this, it's Christmas, actually. Uh, but Christmas, the way the church calendar works the shortest, uh, like, you know, Christmas comes at the shortest time of the year, right? The le- and then mm-hmm. it's interesting that the, lo- the days get longer. And then the summer, e- around summer equinox, the longest day is the Feast of John the Baptist. And then it gets, the days get shorter up to Christmas because the idea is like, he must decrease, I must decrease that he might increase. So mm. here, so it's interesting how that Jesus and John kind of always frame the beginning of the Jesus story. And even the church calendar, John the Baptist kind of frames it in a weird way. But you have this idea that John was a man sent from God. And I love this. He came to testify to the light, uh, though he himself was not the light. Uh, th- that's interesting. Like th- the need to contrast, like John was not the light. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know? Like how many people were still confused about that by the time John's writing his gospel? Like yeah. How many people were still like, no, 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 this guy, this guy was not the light. We just, we want to make that very clear. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause some people, there must be, I feel like if you write something like that, some people must've thought it like, yeah, you know, like there had to be, it's, it's an interesting thing, it, it, but that Jesus is the light which enlightens everyone. I, I love that passage. So it's the sense that like wherever there's light, truth, um, there, there, Christ has to be to some degree, right? Like Christ plays in a thousand places that, that where, where there is light, where there is truth, uh, that's the, that's, you know, there has to be the presence of the word through him all who, through whom all things were made. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is always interesting. I, I love that, you know, it, it, here in England, it literally gets dark at half three in the afternoon. And this idea that Jesus is this light um, coming into the world um, and it shines in the darkness and even this darkness seemingly that is all over England and all over the UK at the moment, um, both probably literally and metaphorically, like like Jesus comes into that and he shines in the darkness and nothing about this winter darkness that we experience um, is going to overcome the light of Christ, which is, man, just a really practical (laughs) Um, encouragement in, in a season where it is just incredibly dark. Yeah, it's interesting. I read an article. I, I'm so mad that I didn't save it somewhere, but it was this guy basically talking about a secular person talking about winter solstice and why you have winter solstice celebration. It's like, because like, winter could really be 
the, the death knell for many people. You know, it was hard. It was, you know, I mean, like in pre-modern times, it's a winter can always be hard, but pre-modern times, I mean, you could, it could, every, it could be everybody's last, you know, like, yeah, exactly. and so it's like this thing, Hey, we made it again, you know, like, and it's great that the church like picks times like this, like we, you know, Jesus probably wasn't born in December, but we celebrate at that time. Cause it's like, you know, when the dark, when it was darkest in came the light. So like, mm-hmm. You know, you don't. Uh, I, Pete Enns, uh, friend, had been on the one. I've had him on given the Give and Take podcast before. He said, "You know, grace always comes in winter, of the winters of life. Like, uh, you know, it's this kind of thing where when do you need the light in darkness? You know, it's that's when you appreciate the light. And so there's this sort of beautiful timing that you know when when for people in you know like the UK and and parts of United States that aren't San Diego, uh, when it's the darkest and coldest, it's like, oh, we commemorate uh, the birth and you know and the breaking in of the light. Mm, it's a exactly. beautiful thing. I also think it's interesting here. You know, Karl Barth says that he th- he thinks there's two storylines in in the Gospels. One in the Synoptics and parts of Paul are Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. It's start. It's a story of ascent, right? This one, who is this for, that we should listen to? You know, if anything good can come from Nazareth, and then he, who he is mysteriously unfolds until he's vindicated in in the resurrection. So then there's another storyline that, that is in John and other parts of Paul, where it's it's the Son of God is Jesus of Nazareth. It's a story not of ascent but descent. You know, like mm-hmm. like in Philippians, you know, he thought equality with God, not something to be grasped at, right? So, but Bart says they're both two stories going on at one time in the same person, but there's like an ascending and a descending. So this is interesting. This is sort of the great descent picture, right? Like the mm-hmm. story doesn't start in Bethlehem or something. It starts in eternity. And mm-hmm. it, and it's not it, it's not humility to exaltation. It's It starts with greatness and then it, it, it power, and then it's, self, it's a story of self-emptying. And it's this great humility that from the very beginning, the same breath that ushered in the heavens is the same breath that like breathed on this earth with us. And that I love um, what the author of Hebrews says is he's our great high priest who understands every bit of what we experience here on earth. So it's, it's good to know that, you know, this word that came from God um, walked the same kind of footsteps that each one of us walks, which, you know, is the exact incarnation of Jesus that idea that, you know, this is God with us. This is, the word and flesh lived among among us and that you know in that we see the glory of god yeah yeah and and it's interesting like there's a book that von ball started called love alone is credible and basically in the beginning he says you know that from the since the history of the beginning of the church the church has always been trying to make sense of the logoi the words in the world and the logos the word in the world and he he sort of the first half of the book it's short but he just talks about how it basically doesn't work right like that you can't he looks at all these alien philosophical systems and things that that ultimately fail to make uh, the gospel believable or credible. And then he says the only thing that makes it credible is love. And he just talks about how like love and beauty, you, you, what you find beautiful, you love and what you love, you find beautiful and how that's the only analogy. And it's still, he thinks it's because human love is always failing and faltering, but, but that's the picture. The only thing that makes the gospel credible or believable is is the expression of love, the beautiful love you see in the suffering servant, which here, you know, full of grace and truth. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful prologue. Yeah, uh, that's who. What was that you? 
you were mentioning? It's a book called Love Alone is Credible. I, I, I can't say enough good about it. It's, it's, yeah. um, it's only about 120 pages, but it's, it's basically Bom Balthazar sort of, uh, it's one of his last works, later works, and sort of his <laughs> summary of like what the gospel's all about. And it's, it's amazing. It's really That's a beautiful, gorgeous. yeah, it's a beautiful book. The other thing here too, one of the tie-ins, I think, from the other readings, we're talking about passivity or, or the receptivity. I love that mm. he came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Mm. Yeah, and, it's, that, it's not through works, but by grace. And that, that whole idea from Galatians that we become children of God, not by our own actions, but by what God has done through the word. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, the the Jesus birth story even is sort of the anti-miraculous birth story. All the other long people like Sarah or Hannah or even Elizabeth, John's mother, wanted a child. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason they wanted a child is it enhanced their stature, enhanced life. I mean, being child like you, like being yeah. childless was I mean, it's always painful when a family wants a child and they can't, but in the, in the ancient world it, even more so. And so like it, it is out of the will of human beings, right? Some of these that God grants them. But Mary doesn't ask for a child. She's not like, and it problematizes her life. Like, yeah. it doesn't make her life easier. It makes her life more complicated. And it, and it shows how, like, e even the way that Christ came into the world was not by the will of any human being. Like, he didn't, he wasn't mm -hmm. the completion of some human longing. You know, in fact, he kind of arrived surprisingly on the scene in a, in a, in a thing that was a complicated, messy arrival, not one of, of, of human you know, desire. Yeah. But I mean, even Mary's disposition in that still reflects that like open-handed, like, okay, you, you say this is going to happen. This is going to happen and let it be. So and I think that's, that's another huge lesson on how to receive well from God. And even if that's, if that means it's going to disrupt our whole life, like goodness knows what that would have been like for, for Mary as this young unwed teenage mom, like, yeah, she's. It's interesting because the Catholic Catechism puts her at the beginning of the section of the Church, and because she's like the model disciple, because mm -hmm. she like her response to the mystery is like the model response, right? It's yeah, it's openness, it's 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 reflection. I mean, it says she ponders them in her heart, but she's open to something that she doesn't expect is confusing, and yet that's where the grace is. You know, hundred percent, and. Thanks for doing this. And, you know, I hope that everyone's Christmas is full of grace and truth and, and bereft of anxiety to the degree that that's possible. <laughs> Blessings in your work, Leslie, in the UK. Thanks for doing oh, this. Thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Leslie for coming on the podcast and thanks again to you for listening and have a blessed Christmas time, my friends. Until next time, fare thee well.